And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, on today's podcast, I thought I'd go through and talk about some of the recent enhancements, changes, and additions that are going on at the Walt Disney World Resort. It's been a lot of stuff happening over the last few weeks, and it's time to cover it. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, I have the best-kept Disney World and Universal Studios vacation secret. Did you know that anyone can rent a sweet ride and truly get around fast with your pass inside the theme parks? Mom, tell them. Well, Scooter Vacations makes it fun all day long. You or someone you love deserves a best way to see everything. So why not relax and enjoy a true express ride with your pass? Scooter Vacations can arrange it and even deliver it to you. Get around the fun way? Have as much fun getting from ride to ride as being on the ride. They fit on buses, boats, and monorails, and some can fit in a car trunk. Upgrade your experience and scoot everywhere. Contact Scooter Vacations at 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. That's 1-855-WDW-SCOOT. Or on the web at scootorlando.com. That's S-C-O-O-T Orlando.com. S-C-O-O-T Orlando.com. Well, we start off today talking about the latest piece of the Fantasyland expansion that's happening, and that's the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Now, that's the last piece of the Fantasyland expansion, so in effect, the Fantasyland expansion is now complete. Now, I still have my doubts about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I have some, you know, some positive things that I see out of it, but then there's also some almost cash grabs that they're doing where they've, they've got some things in there that aren't that interesting. But, on the whole, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that it's a very positive thing that Disney did something that was really interesting, intriguing, and kind of neat that they've got a new whole uh, section of the park that's new to explore. If you haven't been there in a long time, it's worth going and checking out. So the latest piece was the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Now, roller coasters typically, when you look at them, they have a very uh, simple mechanism that works in the roller coaster. It's actually, you're going on a track, you get pulled up to a high point, and then you're released. And then gravity pulls you down and takes you through the track. And the way they develop the momentum and so forth allows you to travel at a particular speed through certain parts of the track. And that's all based on the height and the weight of the cars and the braking system that's in the cars and so forth. And that's all part of the design of the roller coaster. And there really hasn't been any significant changes to roller coasters. There have been some very subtle ones to make the more metal roller coasters with the sleeker braking systems and uh, be able to control the speed a little bit more. But this one is unique in another way. It actually uh, takes advantage of the fact that you can slow down and speed up the train at any time. So as you're going along, you go up the, the first hill, you come down, you come around, and then as you go into the uh, Dwarf's Mine, you actually are being taken at a different speed than you would have been otherwise. It's slowing you down and taking you through the, the, uh, the actual mine. 
And then when you leave the mine, you're actually speeding up and continuing on your path. So it's very clever that they've done this without the use of gravity and momentum and, uh, and so forth. So the dynamics of it are really kind of cool, and the physics behind it are kind of neat because they're not using the physics in a traditional way. They're kind of manipulating it a little bit by using motors and other things. But it's all hidden from view, and it's very clever. And they also did some things uh, with the track to make sure that the track doesn't have the uh, requisite tick, 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 tick as you're going along the seams uh, and between each piece of the track. And it's very clever that way. It's uh, really pretty neat. The other thing that happens is there's another piece to the, to the puzzle, and that is that the, each one of the cars, I believe there's three cars in the, uh, in the train, each one of the cars is pivoted at the back and the front of the car. So when you're sitting in the car, you actually can twist left and right depending on the momentum of the, of the particular curve you're going into. So as you curve to the right, your car is naturally going to kind of float to the left a little bit. So there's a little bit of three-dimensional motion that's happening there that makes it just a little bit more exciting as you're going down the, the track. And that adds a dimension to it that you otherwise wouldn't see. And that's pretty cool. I mean, I think that's a nice little tribute to the, uh, the technology and the Imagineers coming up with something very clever in terms of the ride vehicle that we haven't seen before. And then, of course, you've got some other things going on inside the, uh, uh, the mine with the audio animatronics that are there. Now, Disney did a really good job of creating these new audio animatronics that are like the next generation that have more or less real faces instead of latex faces, and they look a little bit more uh, realistic. And there's some photorealism with the, uh, with the eyes and so forth, kind of like the Mr. Potato Head over at uh, Toy Story Midway Mania, where you're actually seeing it looking at you and things. And it's, it's very clever. Um, and that piece of technology shouldn't be overlooked as well. And then Disney itself has mentioned that they took a lot of care and effort to make sure that they were capturing what the movie had in it. So the cottage that the dwarves are in looks very much like the cottage that you would see uh, in the movie. And, you know, some of the other features and facets look very much like them. Uh, they went back and reviewed the movie and looked at some of the Disney archives and some of the materials that are there to get things right. And it actually looks pretty good. It's a nice representation of it. So uh, pretty neat and worth checking out. I think uh, my next visit, I'm going to have to check it out. Now, I'm not a roller coaster guy, but it looks manageable potentially, so I'll have to check it out. And by the way, here's a couple of words from the dedication that happened last week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New Fantasyland and the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train Dedication. Please welcome the chairman of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, Tom Staggs. It's just an honor to be with you here today for your dedication celebration as we put the finishing touches on our expansion of New Fantasyland. We're really happy with all that New Fantasyland has brought to the Magic Kingdom, but we thought we had an opportunity to add even more energy, motion, and life to this special place. And so it was in that spirit that we created the Seven Dwarves Mind Train. It is both literally and figuratively the centerpiece of New Fantasyland. So we knew it had to be something special, something that would appeal to everyone in the family and provide just the right blend of heart, humor, and thrill, while still being in keeping with the charm of this special land. So we threw that challenge to our Imagineers, and I really have to compliment them. Well, May 1st happened to mark the 25th anniversary of the Disney MGM Studios, now the Disney Hollywood Studios. It opened on May 1st, 1989. And uh, that's kind of an exciting thing. It kind of got lost in the news to a small degree because of the uh, Dwarf's Mine Train. But it's still an important thing. And I'm going to have to do a whole podcast about the original history of the Disney MGM Studios. But suffice it to say, it's really kind of neat to see them get, paying a tribute and 
bringing it back and reminding us that it is 25 years old this year. And uh, that's um, that's pretty remarkable for that for that uh, park to realize that it's 25 years. I mean, I, I remember the uh, first time that I went to the park. Well, actually, there's a little story here. I was planning on going to the park. It was probably first week in June of 1989, so it had been open for about a month. And I, a friend of mine was coming in from out of town, and uh, we had arranged... Uh, he was going to stay at a hotel. We were going to meet at the park at like nine o'clock in the morning over at the studios and we were going to go in. And so it happens that we get there June 1st, it's like 10 minutes to nine. We're driving over to the park and the park had already reached capacity. It was still a month old. It was really exciting. People wanted to see it. So the park had reached capacity and I'm like, are you kidding me? And uh, so they told us at the uh, gate that we're going to have to turn around because we're not going to be able to go in. And so I was sitting there and trying to figure out what to do. And, um, I, it was in the days before cell phones, so you have to imagine here that we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have a means of communicating with each other. So my friend, um, I knew what hotel he was staying at, but didn't know if he had gone back to the hotel. So I, uh, I took a chance, and I actually just um, took a drive over to the hotel and uh, that he was staying at. It was over on International Drive or something, and took a drive over there. And I had no idea what room he was staying in or anything. I didn't know what kind of car he was driving. Uh, so I, I made my way over there and, um, you know, I, somehow I don't remember exactly how I, maybe I just got lucky. I happened to see him and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? He goes, yeah, we didn't make it in. So we wound up kind of hanging out and not doing the park that day. And, uh, he wound up, uh, I think he wound up going in the next day or they may have reopened it in the afternoon. And I can't remember what it was I was doing, but I couldn't join him that afternoon for some reason because they were planning on, he was planning on staying until, you know, it closed basically. And I had somewhere I had to be in the early evening or something. I can't remember exactly, but anyway, I wound up not going with him that day. So he went that day and I went probably the following week and checked it out for the first time. So I was there, you know, a month and a week after it opened ish. And I was just fascinated by it. There was a lot of interesting things to see and you're seeing a real working movie studio at the time. It was an actual working movie studio. So really kind of neat. And I remember that distinctly and I can't imagine that that was 25 years ago. It's just funny. And I remember uh, talking to him and he's like, yeah, I was debating about whether I should go back to the hotel or whether I should just, you know, sit by the side of the road and look for you or what. And we had a big laugh about that. Anyway, that's the way it goes sometimes, right? You just, uh, you just have these funny memories of your first visit to the park and what should have been my first visit to the park. The other thing that happened on May 1st was the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror celebrated its 10-year anniversary. So it's been in the park now for 10 years, and that's pretty remarkable, um, what's there and what it does. I did a complete uh, podcast about the Tower of Terror and how it works um, some time ago. I'll put a link to it in my show notes page, so you can go and have a listen if you haven't already. I talk about the history and how it came to be, and then I do a a ride-through, walk-through kind of thing, where you can kind of hear the whole thing and the whole story. And uh, it's really kind of interesting. There's a lot of backstory to it and a lot of interesting things that got us here. So uh, it's worth taking a listen if you haven't heard it before, if I do say so myself. Now, I know I haven't talked about FastPass Plus since I was at the park uh, a couple of months ago. And uh, since then, there's been a few changes to FastPass Plus, And I think they're for the positive. Um, there's some things that are going on with it that I think are really pretty, pretty good. One of the things they did is that they changed it so that after you've booked your, your three fast passes, once you've used them, you can book additional fast passes. So now you have a little bit more flexibility in your fast passes so that you can go and use some additional ones after you've used up the ones that you've got. And the, uh, oh, by the way is you can actually park up with the uh, new ones that you get as well. So the way this works is still a little bit off because you have to book your fast passes 180 days out from when you go to the park. 
But once you're in the park, you can add these additional fast passes after you've used the ones that are there. So I book out maybe some of the more popular attractions, like maybe say I book Toy Story Midway Mania, and I've got that one as one of my fast passes, and I go to the uh, studios early in the day, and then I, uh, I go ahead after I'm finished, and I use the Fast Pass Plus kiosk or the My Magic app to be able to go in and uh, select a different Fast Pass for later in the day, say for the Magic Kingdom. And then I go ahead and park hop and go over there. So it does allow for a little more flexibility. It's still a little clunky and still needs a fair amount of work, but it's a step in the right direction. So it's getting better in that sense, where you can actually do some additional Fast Pass experiences and actually um, add some. Uh, at the end of the day, once you've used up your fast passes, so the limit on three is kind of removed, but you can only book three in advance, is what it amounts to. Also, they uh, started introducing different languages. Uh, when this podcast was recorded, Spanish was the first language that they had added as the additional languages, so you can do your fast pass experience, the whole My Magic piece in Spanish if you prefer. They will be adding other languages over the next few weeks, so probably by the time you listen to this podcast, they will have already added some more. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm assuming that it's like you know French, Italian, you know, basically countries that are represented by the World Showcase. All right, they'll have those in there. So you'll expect to see those coming up in the next few weeks, and you'll have an opportunity to book your FastPass Plus going that way. Moving over to Epcot, uh, we hear rumors that they're going to be replacing the movie at Soren with a new movie. And the movie will be more, instead of Soren over California, it's going to be Soren over the world. And it will feature different vistas from different places around the world. And in particular, it'll take a view over each one of the Disney parks worldwide. Uh, so they, are, uh, they actually had set up a... a filming schedule to go over each one of the Disney parks. And I know some people who were there uh, looking up at the uh, device that was flying over that was actually filming them. So that's kind of cool. They'll, they'll show up in the movies. And, I, you know, that's kind of a nice little claim to fame. I think if I'd have had the time, I might have made it out there as well. It might have been kind of fun just to be there and just, you know, wear a goofy hat or something and just be in the movie. Back over at the Magic Kingdom, something else that they've done is they've added a second dock for the ferries to make the ferry service a little bit more Effective. Now, the ferries are the, uh, the alternate means of transportation from the Transportation and Ticket Center over to the Magic Kingdom itself. Typically, most people think of the monorail as being the way to get in there. It's, it's sort of an attraction unto itself to be able to get there. But the ferry also runs. And during peak times, or excuse me, during off-peak times, the uh, monorail may not be running. So they run the ferry back and forth exclusively. The monorail is an aging fleet, and they're still trying to figure out what to do with it. So in the meantime, they run the ferries a little bit more frequently. They have three ferries they run back and forth, and they're going at a pretty regular interval. But to increase guest flow, they actually created a second dock on both sides so that the uh, ferries can be moving in two, you know, one can be loading and one can be unloading. So they're actually taking more advantage of the space that they have available. So you'll see those moving a little bit more efficiently. The wait time should be a little shorter. And that could signal the fact that they'll be using the monorail less during the day, especially at off-peak times, because now they may have an opportunity to do so. We'll see how that plays out, but you know, I kind of keep an eye on that one because I think that that means a little bit reduced operating hours for the monorail, potentially. Now, kind of good news, bad news when you go to the Polynesian Resort Hotel. The Polynesian, first of all, is undergoing a name change. It's going to be now called the original name, which is the Polynesian Village Resort Hotel. Uh, so it's making a change back to its original name. Love that. They are adding the uh, Disney Vacation Club properties, as you know. So there's, uh, there's some Vacation Club properties. And kind of the bads that come along with that are some of the changes and some of the things that have been closed as a result of that. And the fact that you've changed some of the sight lines for people who aren't in the Vacation Club who are staying at that hotel and want to see the fireworks or want to be able to see the Magic Kingdom, you don't have that same viewing area anymore because now there's bungalows in the way. I get it, but it just doesn't feel quite right to me the way they've done that. 
The other thing they're doing is redoing the lobby pretty extensively. They've taken out the water feature in the center part of the lobby, and the water feature was one of my favorite things about the uh, Polynesian Resort. And I have a picture of it on my desktop at home, and I love it. It's like my, one of my favorite things. I'll post a picture of it to my show notes page because I think it's worth keeping the historical memory of the, uh, the water feature that was there in the, in the lobby. It's going to be a much smaller uh, centerpiece they'll have in the lobby, though it's not going to be a water feature. So I, I'll kind of miss that to a large degree, and that's kind of sad. But then the other good news is uh, they're opening a Trader Sam's. Now, Trader Sam's is a, a tiki bar of a sort that's... Uh, over at uh, Disneyland, so they're making a, a copy of it and bringing it over to the Polynesian Resort. That's kind of cool. So you have a little bit more theming and something else thematically that goes along with it that's more in line with, you know, the original vision for the Polynesian, sort of what they had in mind for it, that it's, you know, sort of this Polynesian village. And uh, Trader Sam's fits right into that theme. So I think that's kind of cool, and uh, they'll be serving grog, which is a famous drink that they have over there. You know, I think people will take to it similar to the way they've taken to the Dole Whips. I think uh, good for Disney for putting that in there. I think that's kind of neat. Now, here's something else I heard about that I thought was kind of interesting. They're adding smartphone lockers to several places around the Magic Kingdom, and they are going to be adding them, assuming they're successful, they'll be adding them to other places around the other parks as well. Now, remember what they had started with was they had some charging stations. So you could walk up to a place, like, say, over by the Rapunzel area, some of the uh, tree stumps there, if you lift up a little flap, there's some electrical outlets in there, and you could just plug in your smartphone, and you could sit there and wait for it to charge. And that's great, and it's a really nice thing that Disney is doing. The problem is there's a lot of people who want to charge their phones. You know, batteries don't last 15 hours if you're using it full-time, especially if you're using the My Magic app. Uh, so they don't have the ability to do uh, everything there. So you may miss out on some of your opportunities with using your phone. And so Disney offered this as a way to, to recharge your phone. The problem is sometimes a lot of phones take several hours to charge. You know, if you run the battery all the way down, it may take an hour or two to charge back up. So you're going to have to sit there for an hour while you wait for your phone to charge. So what they're offering is these charging lockers. And the way it works is you walk up to it and you put your credit card in the, uh, in the slot. And like a drawer opens. And you put your phone in there and you plug it into an outlet that's in there. And then you close the, uh, close the slot. And it latches. And the only way to get it back open again is to put your credit card back in, and then you can take it back out. So you can go off for an hour. It's a rapid charging station, too, so it's, it's a little bit faster than a traditional electrical outlet. But you go off for you know the better part of an hour, and then you come back and you retrieve your phone, and it's safe because it's in a locked compartment. Right now, it's a free service, so you use the credit card just as an identifier to be able to get to it. So I wonder if they're going to change it to be the My Magic, so you'll, you'd basically use your wristband to be able to open it. Or if they're going to start charging for it, and that's why they're asking for credit card information, because they're taking your credit card and essentially holding it there. Not sure, but for the moment it's free, and I guess they're kind of testing it out to see what guests think, and they'll probably uh, get guest feedback too. If you're swiping your card to unlock it, they have some information about you. They can certainly solicit you and ask you what you thought, and if you'd be willing to pay for the service. I'm sure that will happen, because Disney's always got an eye on the bottom line, and could they charge a little something for it? So we'll see where that goes. But for now, it's free, and it's a very cool idea, and I like it. You know, that's something you, you want to consider if you're going to the parks and you want to use your cell phone, your smartphone, throughout the day and change your My Magic stuff and do some different things, take pictures, or even like I do, report, record a podcast while I'm there. It's always tricky to uh, be able to keep your phone charged. 
Now, what I do personally, I have a separate device. It's a backup battery system that rapidly recharges my phone for me. I just plug it into the bottom of my iPhone, and it recharges it for me. So that actually works pretty well as well. Uh, so that's kind of cool. You know, there's some neat things that you're able to do, and uh, I think it's I think it's kind of cool that they're allowing for you to do this in the parks now rather than having to use an, you know, your own device. But, you know, it's up to you how you choose to do it. And it, because it's in one central location, right now I think there's, uh, I think they've got one in Frontierland and one in Tomorrowland. You kind of have to plan your day to go around back by those areas. Maybe you go ride an attraction and then go back and pick up your phone. But you have to kind of think about how you're going to do it. And then finally, as far as updates, I wanted to talk about Disney's Animal Kingdom for a little bit. So the Animal Kingdom has always had that identity crisis. It's the park that you go to and it closes at 5 p.m. or 7 p.m. when the uh, daylight hours are longer. And you go in, and there's really no nighttime activities because they didn't want to disturb the animals in some way. And Disney has always felt like that was sort of the lesser park to a degree. Expedition Everest is there, sure, and the, uh, the Cali River Rapids, and the Kilimanjaro Safari, of course. So you have all those things that you can do, but you can knock them out early in the day and then go on to another park. Now... I think there's a certain richness in that park, and it's worth spending some time and playing around in there. And if you go back and see the animal shows, the wildlife encounters, and you do some different things, it's really worthwhile spending some time there. And I tell people all the time, take the train over to the petting zoo. It's, it's really cool. It's kind of a fun experience to go over there and enjoy it. But Disney um, realizes that guests don't see it that way. As much as we try to tout it as podcasters and other people who love the park, uh, it doesn't really get the attention it deserves. So there's a great opportunity for Disney to try and find ways to fill the gap a little bit and get more people to come to the park and stay there later. One of the things that they're doing is that they're going to be adding a Rivers of Light show in the evenings. Now, what that is going to be is an innovative show unlike anything we've ever seen in Disney parks, combining live music, floating lanterns, water screens, and swirling animal imagery. The show will magically come to life on the broad natural stage of the Discovery River between Discovery Island and Expedition Everest. According to Disney, it will delight our guests and truly cap off a full day of adventures at Disney's Animal Kingdom. There's no uh, opening date that's been established yet, but you can imagine that this would be a nighttime show that would be just before they close, right at dusk, it'd be the right time, and you could really get some of these elements going, and hopefully it wouldn't impact the animals in any adverse way. Kind of a cool thing, and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they do with that. I think it's a really neat idea. And maybe it'll keep people in the park a little bit longer and distribute people among the parks just a little bit differently. The other thing uh, Disney did uh, was to announce something called Harambe Nights. Now, Harambe Nights is a way to provide an after-hours sort of party for people to come into the park and be there at the Animal Kingdom for a few hours right afterwards. So from an official Disney press release, it reads, It all begins with a welcome reception in the park's Harambe Village, including mouth-watering appetizers and African-inspired wine and beer. Then it's time for the main event. Take your seat inside the newly built Harambe Theater for an unforgettable performance of The Lion King, Concert in the Wild. This all-new, never-before-seen theatrical experience features a live orchestra and choir, dancers, digitally projected movie moments, and dramatic lighting and scenic elements, all hosted by a celebrity guest or narrator. The show brings to life the humor, heart, and stirring emotional power of Simba's journey to find his place as the Lion King. The lineup of celebrity narrators for Lion King, The Concert in the Wild, features stars from movies, TV, and Broadway. There are a number of people that are already scheduled to come, uh, so that that list is available. But after the show, the celebration continues with the Harambe Night Street Party, filled with music, characters, and live performers, encouraging everyone to join Go Wild. You can enjoy an all-inclusive buffet of sophisticated and flavorful African cuisine and gourmet desserts, and exclusive Lion King merchandise and collectibles will be available for purchase during the event. 
and you'll want to stick around for a special finale to bid Quaharini to a magical evening that can only happen at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Harambe Nights takes place every Saturday from June 7th through August 9th with the welcome reception starting at 7 p.m. and a 7.30 showtime. Tickets are $119 for adults, $79 for ages 3 through 9. Tickets with premium floor seating are $134 and $94 for children. Capacity is limited, so you'll want to go ahead and get your tickets early by visiting DisneyWorld.com slash Harambe Nights. Sounds like a really cool idea. I got to give them that. It's, it's a really cool, cool concept there. But for $119 for a couple of hours, it's one show and a couple of hours and some food. Seems like an awful lot to spend on top of whatever else you're doing. Uh, you know, if you're doing it as a vacation package and you want to go check this out, you know, it's an additional cost to you above and beyond whatever your vacation cost you. And you're losing time potentially at another park. Not that that's a bad thing in itself. You should build time doing other things uh, that are not park hopping and running around. You should find other things that you want to do. But this one just seems like it's kind of uh, cost prohibitive to a degree. And I just wonder how successful that's going to be. Well, I guess I already have part of my answer because the first week is already sold out. uh, So they'll continue to sell out, I'm sure, as they go through it. People want to experience it and see what it's like. It just seems like it's a little bit costly for what it is. And... Kind of funny how that, uh, how that plays out, but we'll see. I mean, it could be a really cool thing that they're going to do. And speaking of The Lion King, the show is set to reopen over at the Harambe Village on June 1st. They'll start performances on the show beginning on that day and going forward, and they'll have them five or six times a day, just as they did when they were over at Camp Minnie Mickey on the other side. So that uh, continues to evolve, and uh, they're getting that ready. It's, it's almost done. The other thing is um, there's a few more announcements about Avatar Land and some of the things that are coming. There's a little bit more specifics around some of the attractions. There's supposed to be two attractions, one that's sort of a flight attraction and one that's going to be a water attraction that will be a little bit more tame. So they'll both, uh, they'll both be built and are supposed to be delivered sometime in 2015 or 16 kind of matching up with the next film that uh, James Cameron is coming up with, but you don't hear a lot of very specific details about what they're going to be, and you haven't seen construction permits pulled yet, and you haven't seen a whole lot of, other than concept art, anything else that's come up. Disney is very big on creating dioramas and three-dimensional models, and you haven't seen any of those come out yet, which makes me wonder just a little bit about uh, how how soon that's going to actually happen. But we'll see. I never put it past Disney to do a good thing at the right time when when they're ready for it. So we'll see where that uh, where that goes. And that's our wrap on all of the upcoming events, happenings, and things happening around the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, from me, I've been working on updating some of my apps. And I told you on a previous podcast that the Press Penny app for the Walt Disney World Resort was going to be available, and it is. So you can go and check it out anytime. Um, if you, uh, you want to go over to iTunes, I'll put a link to it in my show notes page. The other app that's currently in review with the iTunes Store and probably will be released at the time that this podcast airs is my pin trading app. And what you do is you actually take pictures of your pins and you can take them with you on your iDevice. So if you have an iPad or iPhone, you just carry it with you and you can look for your pins. And you can search through it, you can find your pins, and you can add pins to your collection. So that way you have a virtual copy of your entire pin library right there on your phone or your iPad. Really kind of cool. Another reason you want to keep your phone or your iPad charged while you're in the parks because you have these uh, these cool apps that people build. Nudge, nudge. Uh, so anyway, I hope you'll uh, check those out, and I hope you like them. And please do give me feedback about them. Um, I'm always interested to hear more about what people think about them, how they work. Um, I want to get on a review cycle of actually having them updated periodically so there's additional things that I'll put in them. So I'm always happy to hear feedback if anybody has any. Well, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now.
Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. The show notes for this podcast can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a Hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app.